the last few weeks we've been walking through portions of the book of Genesis, focused especially on the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Esau last week. So the story of these, these patriarchs who kind of uh, were the recipients of, of God's promise as the family of Israel continued to grow. And uh, especially with the story of Abraham, we've discovered some themes that we've kind of come back to and circled back to again and again. Uh, first of them being that in Abraham's story, we can see this invitation for Abraham to respond in a moment of great covenant promise. Go forth from your home, from your land, from your father's house to the land that I'll show you. He responds with faith as God promises to bless him, to give him uh, a land, to give him descendants, and to give him glory. And as this promise uh, is coming to Abraham, it seems to take a little while. And so we also reflected that Abraham is this man of patience because what was promised to him in this moment of covenant promise took decades to come to fruition. And he still yet had to make the journey one step at a time. He still yet had to have food to eat and raise a, uh, uh, his herds and flocks and care for them. He had the daily routines that he was called to do as he waited in the mundane time, in the ordinary time for God's promises to be received. Um, but we also paid heed to the fact that God meets Abraham and us in moments of crisis as well. Even here, Jesus, and maybe especially here, Jesus is present. And so we looked at the story of Abraham being called, at least he thinks, to go and to take Isaac to be offered up as a sacrifice, as confusing as that was. Um, covenant promises, patience and ordinary time, moments of crisis. In Abraham's story, these kind of get pulled apart so you can look at them distinctly and spend a little time in each one so that we could then reflect on our lives too as we are recipients of God's promise, go through mundane reality in life, but also uh, at times moments of crisis. But in today's story, all three of these themes come, just converge together, sort of crash together in this moment where we see Jacob in crisis on an ordinary night receive covenant promises from the Lord. So we're going we're gonna to turn to Genesis 28, pick up with verse 10, and just a little bit of context so that you're aware of the crisis that's happening. Remember last week we talked about how Jacob tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright. Esau, the one who had gone to the very edge, to the periphery, the, the one who was red and covered with what? Hair as a sign in some sense. Esau is a picture of death in a way because he goes to the very margin, the very limit of experience beyond which for us ultimately is death. And he comes back, and so, just so we won't miss that he's an image of death, he says this to his brother, I am about to die. Give me something to eat. And Jacob, who is not one who goes to the margin, but who was one who is associated much more clearly with, with the center of identity. He was a quiet man, and he remained, and he enjoyed being at the home. The home is the center. The home is where things are known and understood and safe and predictable. We have an identity. The margins where identity breaks down. Of course, death is the ultimate breaking down of a person's identity. And yet death has come back to his house, in a sense. And he exchanges a bowl of stew for Esau's birthright. 
Esau says, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me if I die? Sure, you can have it. Give me the food. And he tricks him out of uh, that, that promise. But in today's text, a little more life is unfolded. And Jacob has also tricked, in some sense, Esau out of the father's blessing. Isaac, their father, is nearing the end of his life, and it was the tradition for the father to then bless the eldest child and so pass on the, the blessing which he had received to the next. And you guys, if you grew up in the church, you probably remember this story from Sunday school, right? Uh, Jacob's pretending to be Esau. His father Isaac has become blind. He can't see. And so he goes in and he's covered his arms with what? With wool, right? So that he will feel hairy like Esau. He goes in and says, Father, bless me. It's Esau. And he reaches out and he pats his arm. He says, well, that feels like Esau. And then he gives him the stew, which Esau was always bringing food to his father. So he brings Isaac the stew. He checks his arm. He thinks it's Esau. And so he blesses Jacob. And Esau comes back and discovers that Jacob has tricked him out of his birthright and he has also stolen his father's blessing. The two most significant kind of moments of exchange that Esau would have experienced in his life, the younger brother's taken them both. And Esau turns redder than he already is and says, I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill Jacob. That story of Cain and Abel, of which Jacob and Esau is an echo in some way, is getting closer and closer to reality, right? He says, I'm going to kill him. Jacob gets wind of this through Rebekah, their mother, who heard that Esau was out to get Jacob. And she, favoring Jacob, but also aware of God's promise about Jacob at his birth, says, Jacob, you need to get out of here. You need to leave Sounds like Abraham again, doesn't it? Your home, your father's house, and go up to the north, back where Abraham was from, to her family there, to your uncle Laban. And you should also in that moment uh, be looking for a wife. That's where the story picks up this morning. Esau's anger, determination to kill Jacob. Jacob is fleeing, and he's not yet to Haran. He's in between home and this land to which he goes I invite you to listen carefully and listen well, for this too is the word of the Lord. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a, a stairway, a ladder, resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is none, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So you see those three themes coming together. Uh, the covenant promise, the crisis, and the ordinary night. Uh, Jacob, of course, has left home. Uh, he is going to the north. He is going away from the place which has given him identity, his father's house, the place in which he is comfortable, the place which is predictable and known and experienced in an ordinary way, the place which isn't very threatened. He's leaving that place because suddenly it has become threatened. Esau, the one who represents death at the margin, the red one, the one covered with hair, has come back and so, in some sense, has brought death to this place or the threat of death to the place where Jacob is comfortable. He's got to run. He's got to flee. He's got to get away. And so you see two things kind of working together. He's being pushed away. He's getting away from the prospect of death. But he is also approaching. Anybody in a time of crisis ever lean on your family a little bit? Um, he runs towards his family, his uncle Laban and his house. He's moving towards some sense of safety and security, but also towards a new identity. He hopes there to find a wife, a place where he can begin again in some sense and have a renewed identity through that connection. He's in the midst of a crisis. It doesn't become much more critical than thinking that someone's going to kill you in your home. That's where Jacob has been, and he's trying to get away from that feeling. Uh, don't know, you know, if you've ever experienced something of a crisis before. We've talked about this again recently. But in this whole pattern of moving away, trying to get away from something, but also approaching some goal, made me think of Olivia this week. Olivia, Holly's daughter, Olivia, is away at camp. She's away at camp for at least two weeks, I think. Away from home. Away from that sense of identity where she was with, her mother, who has given her so much of an identity over her, her life. She's away from that, but she's also got a goal to get to camp, to make friends, to have fun, to have a good time, to learn, to experience something new. And so she's in this in-between, a slight disconnect from life at home, 
but also the prospect of something new ahead. We, all of us kind of live out this pattern in different ways. Um, I think of a young person who has, for the first time in their life, moved out of their home and they've got an apartment. And they're going to school or they're going to work. And they're away from their parents. The source of identity that, that has given them security and a place and a degree of comfort in their life. But now they're out, moving out away from that place with new questions, with wondering how is what I'm studying, how is the job that I'm doing in my possibilities to move up through the ranks with that work going to change who I am? What, what is there new for me to discover about myself and the world around me? And yet there's also a loss that happens at the same time. Uh, you ever quit one job before, even before having the next one in hand? It's something of a crisis because something made you leave. You just had to get out and away from that situation, and yet you don't know exactly what's coming in front of you. You don't know exactly, well, what will this new identity, this new me look like? Is there another place where I can have Comfortability and, and, and safety uh, and productivity and purpose in between. Maybe you're familiar with the loss of a loved one who for so long has been for you a source of security and identity and understanding of who you are and your place in the world. Have you experienced the in-betweenness of not knowing what the future holds? That's where Jacob is. Now, each one of those examples, you know, you've all had an experience like that before, and they vary in degrees of, um, of, of difficulty um, and challenge. But this is where Jacob is. He's left home out of fear, trying to preserve his life, but he doesn't yet know what life lies ahead of him. Now, the interesting thing in all of those journeys that we all take in various ways throughout our life, is that he still yet, just like we all do, still yet has to do the basic, mundane, ordinary tasks of daily life. For, to get from that place to the next place, he's got to take the next step and the next step. And eventually he's going to have to reach in his bag and get something to eat or go down by the brook and gather some water. And he's going to have to lay down and rest. He's in the midst of crisis, but he also still has all those regular and ordinary things to do that we all have to always do. And it says these two things converge that God enters in to his experience in a new way and gathers up the whole of Jacob's experience and says, actually, the journey you think you're taking is only part of a much bigger journey that I want to show you. Jacob thinks he's fleeing death. We all try to get away from that in some way or another. And he thinks he's, try he he's trying to connect with a new identity. We do those two things all the time. And it's precisely in this crucible that God enters in and encounters him in a new way. He lays down to go to sleep. And he has a dream. I shared this story 
with the session on Thursday. This was our devotional. We read the story and just kind of discussed it a bit. And the first question I asked was, hey, what'd you hear? What did you hear? And the first response I got was from Chuck. And Chuck said, it's not so much what I heard, but it's what I saw. He said, I, could, I saw this as it was unfolding. Maybe you had a similar experience as you were listening. Very visual telling of this story. He says, I saw Jacob at the end of the day as the sun's going down below the hills. As the sun sets, the story tells us. Jacob took a rock from the ground and he, he set it there on the ground and he laid down and rested his head upon it. Which... Incidentally, sometimes I'll wake up and my neck hurts and I've got like this really nice pillow. But could you, if you imagine that? I mean, any of you guys sleeping on rocks these days? <laughs> anyway, Jacob lays down, puts his head on the rock, hands clasped across his chest, and he falls asleep. And as he dreams, he sees a ladder set down upon the earth. And this ladder reaches up from this place where he is all the way as he gazes. It goes all the way up into heaven. And upon this ladder, angels are ascending and descending back and forth. Communion known between heaven and earth and earth and heaven. And he sees as he looks up, like Chuck said, Oh yes, there was the Lord over all. Over heaven and earth, over Jacob, over the communion of the two and as Jacob sees this vision, with his head resting on the rock, and the angels ascending and descending on the ladder, and the Lord standing over, the Lord speaks to him. And the Lord speaks this promise, this covenant promise. Here it comes rushing into this moment of ordinary crisis, this mundane, critical moment. The Lord speaks and says, I am the God of your father Abraham, and I am the God of your father Isaac, and, and I'm your God. I'm here with you. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your descendants as, as, the, as the dust of the ground. So numerous shall they be. And as you expand to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, once I bring you back to this place upon which you lie and give this land to you, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your descendants and through your offspring. And then the Lord says to him, I will not leave you. I will always be with you until those plans which I have for you and those promises which I make to you now are accomplished. Jacob wakes up. Jacob wakes up having thought that he was just on a journey escaping death moving towards identity and discovered that this part of his story was actually part of the whole trajectory of his life. That Jacob's journey was actually one from, from earth to heaven. And so too, I think we could say, that is your journey too. That is, that is our path. It is, it is also the story that Olivia is encountering right now. She, she just probably thinks that she's away from mom for a bit and camp is kind of scary, but then it's fun when she makes friends and hopefully she has a wonderful time. And she experiences a little bit of this pattern, just a tiny bit in, in, a, in a way that she can take in um, as you know, nine or 10 year old, 10 or 11, 
kids keep growing too fast. Uh, and she has just a little bit of a sense of what this is like. But actually, that story, the story she's living out for these next two weeks, is part of a much bigger story as she learns how to move from earth to heaven. Hopefully, you know, the, the person who's undergoing loss is trying to understand how do I, how do I understand who I am now in light of the identity that has broken down in some way, how can I move forward? Is actually part of a much bigger story of how God wants to move us into communion with Himself in a way that we're transformed over time and receive the fullness of identity that God has for us in Him. You see how that connects to us. I wonder how it connects to you. I wonder where you are in the midst of your life right now, in the midst of just, I don't know, Monday and ordinary, day in, day out, week to week. I mean, you have ordinary and boring weeks like I do, I'm sure. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you are in a moment that is looking a little bit more like uh, things are critical here. Maybe you're in a moment where you are being reminded of God's covenant promises, like Josephine at the font a few weeks ago, or like we as we gathered at the table. Where are you right now? And where do you fit? Because a ladder is what? It's a way to get from one place to the next. A ladder is, a, is the means by which you move from one location to a different one. One step at a time. One rung at a time. That's what Jacob had to do when he moved from home to Haran. One step at a time. It's what you do as you walk through your life. Uh, there are moments in time which are, are full, and the scriptures speak to them of them in two ways. Chronos time, just chronological, it's how we keep it on our watches. But then there's also kairos time. It's like the fullness of God kind of time. Distinct moments or periods of time where all of life seems to be rushing in and serves as a microcosm of sort for the whole. And here it is for Jacob. Now, the church has understood this vision uh, in some interesting ways. We've been sharing some of the typological relationships between the Old Testament and the New as it relates both to people but also to objects and things. And in this vision, we see a big picture. Let's start with the rock. Can anyone guess what the rock represents or symbolizes? Or who? Yeah, so I've heard a couple, God and Jesus. So specifically, we might... Well, I think you could say both. Yes, that's the right answer. Um, so, so Jesus here would, would be the rock. Um, when I prayed the prayer that I often will pray right before the sermon, so may the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So there's, there's all kinds of exp uh, expressions of using that metaphor of the rock as it speaks of God. Jesus says that if you build your, um, your life on my commandments and what I teach you, you will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock so that when the crisis came, it, your house didn't collapse. Your identity didn't fall apart, right? But it remained strong because it was built on me, not on the shifting sands of time or anything else. Um, there's places where the New Testament itself interprets uh, the rock is Christ, where it looks to the moment when Moses took the staff in the dry desert wilderness and struck the rock, and from it came gushing forth water for the people. Um, the New Testament says the, the rock is Christ. 
Other psalms ask us to, to raise us up to the rock that is higher than I. Jesus is, is the rock here. The ground, the foundation, the cornerstone of the church, of our whole Christian experience, of our, of our entire um, existence, actually. Jesus is the rock upon which Jacob rests his head. Sort of like John. When Jesus gathers the people around the table at the Last Supper, and the beloved disciple John rests his head upon Jesus' shoulder, his head upon the rock. Jesus is the rock, the foundation, the cornerstone, the, the firm foundation that we sing about in our first hymn. Can you imagine what the latter might be in the teaching of the church? The ladder. What do you imagine the ladder was made of? What do you make ladders out of in the, you know, a long time ago? Thousands of years ago? Wood. Okay. Ladder, wood. When you think of wood in the church, what do you think of? Yeah, the cross. Yeah. yeah these are the associations that, that uh, the early readers of Scripture are making. The cross. So the ladder is like the cross. The ladder is that, that thing which connects... Heaven and earth, yes? Um, there's a reason that in churches we put them not on the floor typically and not up at the roof, but in the middle. Here and back there, the cross is in the middle between earth and heaven. Why? Because that is the means by which earth and heaven are brought together and connected. As Jesus goes to the cross, there's the vertical dimension that opens. The heavens are open to all who believe and trust in Jesus, who is the um, uh, first Son of the new creation. And so, you can see also that the angels are ascending and descending upon this ladder. This, this experience of Jesus which connects heaven and earth. It's the means by which Jesus comes down and goes down like Esau, even to the periphery that is death, where identity breaks down. Jesus goes to the limit via the cross. But then it is also the means by which Jesus gathers all of us subject to death back to the Father's house, back to the center of identity, back to His own heart and life, and joins us to Himself. Now, there's, there's a difference between being able to say, oh, that's neat symbolism, and living it out. Because I want to tell you that as you journey trying to get away from death in various ways and trying to connect with others because we always think that in connection there is life. As you make that basic movement for yourself, the cross is the way that you arrive at the destination God's opening up to you, which we see at the top of the ladder, which is the Lord himself. That is your ultimate destination. It's the ultimate longing that you have. It's actually what the cross and the ladder that connects heaven and earth connects you to. It's the point of it. To draw you into the Father's embrace. That's why Jesus came down and was the foundation of that, going even unto death. And it's why He promises to raise us back up by the Spirit. The cross. It's the difference between recognizing the ladder symbolizes the cross and entering into the life um, which is named by the cross, the life which is uh, fashioned and patterned by the cross. This is why Jesus says, 
that if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. That's why Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. It's not just recognize my cross. This, that's the part of that's the central part of it. But then he says, you who trust in me as Lord and Savior, take up your cross and follow after me. Which means that the path from death, a life which looks like death, and a life which looks like love and connection and blessing and beauty bound together in God, is the pattern of self-giving love, of self-sacrifice for others. The, the latter is not just something for you to look back at and say, wow, that's neat, it connects everything. No, Jesus is inviting you to start climbing, to actually ascend a little higher and go a little further, to grab hold of the ladder, not because you under your own power can make the ladder come down from heaven, not because you and your own power can climb up to heaven under your own moral effort. No, it's because Christ has laid the foundation and he's shown you the ladder that is the cross. He gives it to you and he's called for you to take it up for yourself and to walk that path because at the end of it is life. Actually, the beginning of it is life and each rung is life and at the top of it is life. And as you ascend, guess what? There are helpers all along the way, angels ascending and descending, coming down to you where you are and helping raise you up to the next space. It's not just like a really interesting thing that we can point out in the Bible. It's the invitation of how to walk and how to move from the place you are to the place you desire to be. In closing, um, it's interesting how Jacob thinks he's on this one little journey, just like we probably think we're on this one little path and moment in our life right now. As, he, as his vision is expanded to see the fullness of it in light of God, um, uh, we see that he's reminded that God is the God of his past. First thing he said, I'm the God of Abraham, your grandfather, Isaac, your father. I'm the God who's meeting you right now. And then he makes, in the present, but he also makes promises about the future. All of this comes together and is connected for him. And so um, we can look to the past covenants of God, but what caught my attention in God's promise here I've never seen this before. It sounds a whole lot like the words of Jesus at his ascension. The words we talk about usually in connection with discipleship. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. What did God say? To Jacob, I will not leave you. I will be with you always until my plans and promises for you are accomplished. What does Jesus say at the moment of his ascension? I will be with you always. Now you have come to church this morning. Ordinary Sunday, maybe. We've put our head down in some sense, giving attention to the rock who is Christ. Hopefully we've heard in this moment in some way in the depths of our hearts, God's promises to us. But then, like Jacob, we're going to get up the next morning. He stands the rock up and offers sacrifice there, worships God, makes a vow to God, says, I'll give to you a tenth of all that you bless me with, which is what we do after we hear the word. We give the offering in the same way, same pattern. But then Jacob had to keep taking those daily, normal, routine steps on up to Haran. And so, we're, Lord willing, we're all going to walk out of here today. 
and go back to something that we imagine to be ordinary. As we do that, let's not fail to hear God say to you, I am with you. I am with you always. Jacob said, I thought this was an ordinary place. I did not know that God was here. He's actually a little bit afraid. I did not know that the presence of God was right here. And so he calls it the gate of heaven. So he calls it the house of God. In some way, this breaks down our idea that there is anything ever ordinary. You go back to ordinary life, but the invitation is as you lay your life down in love, following the path of our Lord Jesus, living the cruciform existence in Him, Jesus is with you always, in every moment, at every place, at every time, and you cannot escape, and He will not abandon you until His promises in you and for you are complete. And so everywhere you stand this week will be the gate of heaven. That's a bold statement, but it's true. Everywhere you stand this week will be the gate of heaven. And you can worship there, just as Jacob worships. And you can hear those promises, whether you're in crisis or what seems ordinary to you. And your whole life can be found in the story of Jacob's ladder. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.